Oh, if, if we haven't met yet, my name is Trevor Ice. It should be an easy last name to remember. Um, you can call our family the, the Ice Pack. Um, <laughs> but I have the privilege of uh, opening up God's Word with you this morning. Um, just want to say uh, how much of a gift it is to share um, in worshiping our God in spirit and truth and seeing what His Word has for us. So our text today is going to be out of Philemon, a small little book in your Bible with some big truth. We'll be reading just the first half today. Next week we'll be picking up with the second half. Starting at the top, verse 1. Yeah, it might take some extra time. There's not a lot of wit there. Philemon. If you're in the Old Testament, you might need to go right. All right. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Let's pray. Father, as as we approach your word, we're reminded that your Holy Spirit reigns in us for all who have professed faith in Christ. This means we have a counselor, a helper, a teacher, as we try to mine the depths of your marvelous grace. Help us do that today. I pray that if we're seeing your glory dimly, that you would just clear the fog off our glasses that you would draw us to truth, but also with affection, that we would take this room, take this truth out of this room and walk in it. I pray that these words today would be yours and not mine, and I pray that I would just get out of the way and let your truth ring. In all these things, we love you, we trust you, we commit this morning to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a native of the Seattle area. I grew up in the Seattle area. I often heard from outsiders a certain, um, maybe called a stigma or a phrase. How many of you heard this? The Seattle freeze. Sort of the Seattle freeze. Um, It is going to be cold this next week. There's going to be some snow. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, There's a long history of a certain culture around Seattle called the Seattle Freeze, and it actually goes back over 100 years ago. I'm doing just a little perusing on the internet. 
around World War I, the Spanish flu was raging on, and the city of Seattle was a little bit too good at social distancing, okay? So as the flu kind of wrapped up, there was still this strong stigma about a, um, a distance that people had relationally, especially with those from the outside. In April of 1920, a very optimistic man by the name of Arthur Priest thought he would had, maybe could do something about this. And so he mustered up a large group of people, got buy-in from uh, the local city, did all kinds of decorations, signs, communicated that there was going to be a talk to your neighbor day. And so as the days came forward, he got more and more excited that the city of Seattle would actually talk to each other and it was going to be amazing. So I'll cut to the chase. They did not talk to their neighbor. Okay? They did not talk to the neighbor on Seattle on the talk to your friendly talk to your neighbor day. And so the people of Seattle left Arthur Priest so disappointed, he ended up packing his bags and moving out of the state. So for over 100 years, outsiders have identified that the people in and around Seattle do not seem to be very open to getting to know each other. Sure, they'll exchange formalities. They might give you a glance and they might say hi um, if you're lucky. But often is the case there really isn't the next steps to get deeper into relationship, to actually open up with one another. Um, people might talk to you about having dinner. They might say, hey, I'll call you, and then crickets if you're new to the area. They can be tough to break through to real and deep relationships. Relationships can be draining. They can be destructive. Um, they can be dysfunctional. But what did God do in our broken relationship with us? Our Lord didn't withdraw, but he leaned in. He didn't leave us in the dust, he pursued us. And so church, the gospel today is the power for our salvation. In Christ, we've been brought back into the fold of God. We are back in relationship with him. And from this relationship, we then spend time and influence and bring our faith to bear with others. So what I'm getting at is that the gospel is the power for our salvation but it is also the power for our relation, our secured relation to God and our growing relation to others. It is critical that we know our continued need for the grace of the gospel, and often our lenses get foggy in this and relationships help clear the fog. Even in the midst of broken relationships that seem like they have no hope, these are opportunities to see our need for a savior more and more, which is often the case in our suffering. Relationships function as a mirror that shows us the sin that we may be blind to, the sin that clings closely that we may not see in ourselves. And relationships show us the goodness of God too, which we often are blind to as well. With our grumbling hearts, we may not be walking in gratitude because we're not seeing the goodness of God as it's displayed through other people. By this I mean that we better understand God's mercy as we are shown mercy and as we show mercy to one another. We better understand his love as we love one another. And we better understand his grace as the people we sin against forgive us, receive us, and reconcile with us. We should do the same for others. And so as we get to this letter, as we look at the shortest letter from our Apostle Paul, we may be scratching our heads today. I mean, hopefully we found it by now, okay? But secondly, Where's the gospel here? 
Where's the declaration of what Christ's done, of who Christ is? I don't see it in here. But we can think of the book of Philemon as an iceberg, right? We're just seeing the tip of the declaration of the gospel because Paul doesn't describe the full height, depth, and breadth of the iceberg of Christ's redemptive work. You can read that in his other letter to the Colossians or his letter to Ephesians. Instead, he asks Philemon to set his feet on the ground of the gospel. This is to connect his faith and character with action. Head and heart connect to his feet. Paul's plea is for the gospel to actually come to bear within an estranged relationship here. This isn't just a sticky note on the back of the letter to the Colossians. This has real pertinent effect on these early believers' lives. So so for some background to this letter, Paul is writing this to Philemon, and this most likely came along with his other letters to the Colossians and to the Ephesians while he was imprisoned in Rome. Though the original address is to the house church and to others, uh, a lot of the grammar here is directed to Philemon in a singular way. Some commentators call this a private public letter. Um, This is surgery in the classroom. Uh, It's written privately with a very public audience. So we read in Colossians that these letters were delivered by Tychicus. But also keep in mind, Onesimus is along for the ride. Uh, It's kind of like when my kids ask me if they can hang out with their friends or go over to the friend's house and their friend's standing right there, right? That's what we have here. Paul's appeal is putting Philemon in a pretty tough spot. The church and Onesimus are all in the room as Paul is asking this favor of him. We don't know much about Philemon and the church out of his house, other than that Philemon is a convert under Paul's ministry to Colossae. And keep in mind, most likely Paul is writing this from house imprisonment in Rome, so he's probably a distance of 1,200 miles by land and sea. Paul is writing to Philemon as a gospel partner. And so, really what I want us to see, the essence of the text today for us, is that Paul is teaching us in this letter that the gospel changes our relationships. Sharing in the faith then means we receive and apply the gospel together. So I'll say that again. Paul teaches us in this letter that the gospel changes our relationships. Sharing in the faith means we receive and apply the gospel together. And so this is true not just for Philemon, but even for the apostle Paul himself we're seeing that the very basis of Paul's appeal is rooted in Philemon's specific ability to refresh Paul's heart in Christ. So we see that in verse 20, that ultimately that's going to be the basis for Paul's appeal, is that his heart would be refreshed for Philemon to do this, to reconcile with Onesimus. Today we'll see that because of the gospel, relationships can strengthen and support every person involved because they're a framework for applying the gospel. I love that Zach talked about the gospel last week. It's a great, uh, great place to start for 2024. And now this is kind of where the rubber is meeting the road. We must value relationships because God powerfully uses them to help us know him more and more and more. So church, many of us, if we're honest, are not drawn to share in the gospel. We struggle to admit our need for God and others. We fail to get close enough to confess sin and grow together. Many of us could kind of take or leave the corporate nature of our faith. With that being said, though, 
with my family being here just for the last three months, I can say that we've already been overwhelmed at seeing the gospel have feet here, seeing love have legs, and seeing um, just the relational emphasis of so many of you. But at the same time, I think Excel still all the more. And there's many here who maybe have an opportunity to have this be a focus. So my hope for us today is that regardless of who we are, we would share in the gospel. Share in the gospel. And so we're going to see three ways that we can bring the gospel to bear within our relationship, looking at this text. Let's see. Okay, so you'll notice this outline is a little bit different, okay? This is uh, called a homiletical outline. And so expository preaching isn't just going verse by verse. It's also having the main argument of the sermon be the main argument of the text, okay? I'm so thankful that everyone here at Edgewood Bible who uh, preaches the word and proclaims the truth has this as a focus. But having the, uh, the outline here as an application isn't changing the argument of the text. The application comes out of the argument of the text. So I just want to make that clear that our focus here is on the main argument of the text of Philemon while still being able to look at it and apply it to ourselves. So this is going to be our structure for today. So let's jump in. First point, share in the faith. Let's read again verses 4 through 7 today. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. We'll stop there. So it's tempting when you read the letters from the Apostle Paul uh, and his epistles to skip over that intro section, uh, to kind of gloss over it. But there's never a wasted word in our Bibles, amen? Verses 4 through 7 aren't empty formalities from Paul. He's going to use the same language of refreshing hearts in verse 20. Paul essentially is going to say to Philemon in this letter, you refresh others, now I ask you to refresh me. This is the foundation for Paul's appeal. And by appealing to his character, Paul powerfully connects Philemon's character with his actions. Actions that will stem from their mutual relationship they share in Christ. Now let's look at verse 5. What does Paul affirm there? Look at the text. Philemon's love and faith of Jesus. Is this the love for some of the saints? Most of the saints? All the saints, that's right. Barbarians, Sith, Jew, Gentile, slave, and even their wealthy masters, as we'll read in Colossians. All are level at the foot of the cross. Brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no special standing before a holy God. And Philemon's love and the faith toward others is the source for what Paul prays for in verse 6 in our text. Notice his faith is towards others. That's an interesting statement. Paul prays that through the sharing of Philemon's faith, it would become effective. Do you know what this means for us today? It means Philemon hasn't arrived. His love needs some more legs. Even though he's renowned for his faith and his love for Christ and others, he still has some work to do in applying his faith. Not just out of some white-knuckle obedience, not out of compulsion. Paul doesn't drop the hammer too much on him in this letter. It's for Philemon's own benefit and Paul's refreshment too. So what does Paul want Philemon to apply here? 
What does he mean when he says the sharing of your faith? Is Paul just talking about getting better at evangelism? Some commentators read it that way, and I, and I don't blame them. This is probably the most confusing verse in Philemon, uh, verse 6. The NIV translates this sharing of your faith as partnership. And NASB says fellowship. This can be confusing. You look at all these versions, and it's a different translation, every version. And then you're kind of wondering, well, which one is it, right? I think most commentators agree that this sharing of your faith is a sharing in your faith. It's a sharing in your faith. And that's because that word sharer is not a small word. That word sharer is a familiar word, I think, if you've been around the church a while. It's koinonia. Within the word koinonia is this concept of participating together, often translated as fellowship. It's not just sitting next to each other on a Sunday morning. This is deep connection through mutual interest or identity. This is relationship with Christ that manifests into relationships with others. A relationship where we don't have it all together yet, we still remind ourselves that we need a perfect Savior. The gospel then leads us to be transparent and vulnerable as we walk out our faith together. And so Onesimus does not need to run from his problems anymore. He can make things right by admitting that he was wrong. And because of the gospel, Philemon has the power to receive him in that. Paul prays for the practical outworking of Philemon's relationship with Onesimus. Paul invites Philemon into something that will bless him and ultimately help him grow. This is the gift of the gospel connecting to himself and to others. This is the practical application of his love and faith. But this is intimidating, right? We think about deep relationships in this way. Know today, Christian, that you're not called to do this alone. First off, God has given you his church so that we do this together. And more importantly, he's given you his Holy Spirit. So introvert, extrovert, it doesn't matter. We have the power that we need in the gospel to do this. For as a people in Christ, we get to share in the Holy Spirit's fellowship. We see this in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Paul closes with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the what? And the fellowship, koinonia, of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Gospel relationships then unify and support us by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit helps us participate with others as the Spirit is participating with us. No Christian can exist on an island. We share in our walk with the Spirit and with others. So back to the text. What fruit does this relationship lead to? Let's look again, verse 6. What does it lead to? Knowledge. Knowing. This is deep knowledge. I don't know if the English word knowledge does it justice. This is epigenosis. This is a deep understanding. This is understanding the goodness of Christ in a way that floors you. It knocks you over. It's seeing that every good thing in us, in Christ, is realized. Part of seeing the good is when we can remove the bad, too. We see it, we admit it, we turn from it, and we trust in the goodness of God in Christ. All this is possible through our relationships. They act as mirrors in this process. And so we continue working through this text. In verse 7, Paul says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. Why? Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. We will see next week that this refreshment is the foundation of Paul's appeal for this letter in verse 20. Paul asks for Philemon to practically walk out his faith in forgiveness as he receives and reconciles with Onesimus. This is to refresh Paul's heart. 
Philemon has already refreshed the hearts of the saints in Colossae. This word for refresh is really interesting. It means to give rest. So you think about what it means to refresh one another. It's to give them rest. Now you're like, okay, hold on a second. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about being refreshed by them. And you're going to tell me that relationships give me rest. That's a hard sell. Church, if you're like me, you do need refreshment. We get tired, we grow weary, and often relationships don't leave us feeling refreshed. But I hope we see in this text today that ultimately we find our rest in the Savior, but the Savior works through other people to help us find this rest sometimes too. No matter who you are, healthy gospel relationships can give us rest. Some of you still may not be convinced. might be saying, the most tiring and exhausting part of my life is relationships. You don't know my brother. You don't know my friend. You don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. Listen to this quote from uh, Paul Tripp and Timothy Lane. They have a great book. The title is a dead giveaway where I'm going with this. Relationships, a mess worth making. So let me turn to it really quick here. The very thing we would naturally seek to avoid is what God has chosen to use to make us more like him. Have you ever wondered what, why God doesn't just make your relationships better overnight? We often think that if God really cared for us, he would make our relationships easier. In reality, a difficult relationship is a mark of his love and care. We'd prefer that God would just change the relationship, but he won't be content until the relationship changes us too. This is how God created relationships to function. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't just make your relationships better overnight? What happens in the messiness of relationships is that our hearts are revealed, our weaknesses are exposed, and we start coming to the end of ourselves. Only when this happens do we reach out for the help that God alone can provide. Weak and needy people finding their hope in Christ's grace are what mark a mature relationship. So listen to this part. The most dangerous aspect of your relationships is not your weakness, but your delusions of strength. Self-reliance is almost always a component of a bad relationship. While we like to avoid the mess and enjoy deep and intimate community, God says that it is in the very process of working through the mess that intimacy is found. Which relationships are most meaningful to you? Most likely they're the ones that involve working through difficulty and hardship. Okay, so I won't read the whole book. But church, relationships... Yes, they can be life-giving, but even if they aren't, they're always life-changing, okay? We must share in the gospel together. We need help. As broken vessels, as jars of clay, as clay in the potter's hands, we can bring the fixing power of the gospel to bear as it sets captives free. The gospel is never one-directional. It saves the sinner, and then that sinner who has come to Christ affects many other lives, Philemon himself is refreshing Paul's heart in Christ. It's going to bring Onesimus back from a, as a runaway to a restored person in his household. And this is our second point today. Strive towards reconciliation. So we'll read verses 8 through 10 again. Accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. 
I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. We'll stop there. So this is really the punch of Paul's request in our text. Redeeming a severed relationship. Bring Onesimus back into the household of Philemon. Did you know today, church, that one damaged relationship affects a lot more people than just that person in that relationship? This letter, though it has a lot of personal address to Philemon, again, is to the church. And I'd imagine if it's a house church at a Colossae, the church at Colossae knows about it too. We don't know what caused Philemon and Onesimus to have this separation in our text. As a slave, Onesimus most likely lived within Philemon's house. It's pretty amazing. Culturally, I mean, I think about a third of all of Rome was enslaved at this time. And this is kind of a different slavery, which we'll talk more about next week, than what we may be looking at with our cultural lens of American slavery. For slaves in Rome, there was an incredible range of trust and autonomy given. But in this instance, trust has clearly been broken between Philemon and Onesimus. We'll see later on in Philemon that there is a real chance that Onesimus may have even stolen money, or at least owed Philemon money. Probably theft there. And a slave had no rights under Roman law. Philemon, as the leader of his household, had life and death um, authority in his household for his family members and also his slaves. So we know that there is a real um, visceral tension here between Philemon and Onesimus. It was probably at the point of scandal for the house church, a scandal for the people of Colossae. And so these words ring for us today in Colossians 3.13. Paul will tell the Colossians to bear with each other and forgive one another. How do they do this? As the Lord forgave you. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Paul doesn't appeal to uh, forgiveness just because they should do it. He appeals to it because of the reality of the gospel. This is what we bring to bear in Philemon. The forgiveness that they have powers them to forgive others. Many of us today in this room have felt the tremendous impact of broken relationship. Maybe you've experienced a divorce or had a divorce around your house. Do divorces just affect the husband and wife? No. Children are forever changed. Friends choose sides. Parents and grandparents weigh in. If it happens in the context of church, it can lead to a church-wide split where people are choosing sides. In the same way we can't live life on an island as a Christian, we can't live as if our relationships only influence the people within the relationships. And this confronts the cultural pressure that we talked about in the beginning of privacy, right? It's pretty uncomfortable. Within this letter to Philemon, there are two relationships front and center here. Two. You have Philemon and Onesimus, but you also have Paul and Philemon. Both have a unique opportunity to bring the gospel to bear within the situation. And we see the way that Paul's talking to Philemon, he's leveling himself with Philemon. Paul's describing himself as an old man, um, as a prisoner. I mean, keep in mind that old man has been uh, traveling and marooned at sea and getting bit by snakes and going thousands of miles. But he says, an old man and a prisoner. He doesn't refer to himself with the authority that he should. He doesn't describe himself as an apostle, but an arrestee. 
He doesn't describe himself as a pointy-hatted pope. He describes himself as a prisoner, right? Literally in the language, one in chains. And he calls himself this multiple times in this letter. This is the only epistle where Paul calls himself a prisoner of Christ. Though he's a prisoner of someone else currently too, he doesn't say prisoner of Rome. He says prisoner of Christ. We see a lot in this letter that Paul is using very strong language. He says he's bold enough in Christ to command what is required. So the appeal is, here is not a light appeal. Remember, Paul is asking that this of Philemon with Onesimus right there standing with him. The church and his wife as an audience. Paul saying he's a- he is asking, but he could be commanding, adds a lot of gravity to the situation. We'll see later in this letter, too, that Paul will ask for Philemon to prepare a room for him soon. As if to say, and if you don't do this, I'll be there having a room, just so you know. Paul's encouraging Philemon and Onesimus to both do their part to be at peace. And all of us Christians are called to do the same. Where do we see this in Scripture? I think the most succinct thing we see in scripture on this is Romans 12 18 it says if possible so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all key phrase there as far as it depends on you live peaceably with all now we live in a fallen and broken world we can't live peaceably with everyone but whatever you can do on your end to live peaceably that's what you need to do Christian and maybe you've already taken 10 steps towards them and they've taken zero our call today out of Philemon And the imperative the gospel brings forth in our life is to take one more step, if we can. Christ says this very strong in Matthew 5. Verses 23 through 24, he says in his Sermon on the Mount, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Church, God cares about the status of our relationships. If they're broken, it's a pressing priority to do what we can on our end to fix it. This is because Christ reconciled us to himself. This means we have a freedom to reconcile with others. And we see this in 2 Corinthians. Our charge is believers. Paul giving us the example here. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So to be clear in the context of this passage, the emphasis is on the reconciliation of God and man and being ambassadors and ministers of that reconciliation. But a key example in this is Christ's example of reconciliation. Reconciliation is not a political word, even though many people use it as one. It's a biblical word. And we don't let the culture cancel words that the Bible uses. We are people of the book. And so we look to reconciliation. What does it practically look like? 
Reconciliation is to restore relationship. It's to cut the tension and then pave a way of peace. It's amazing how much tension that will hold stubbornly instead of just taking that step towards reconciliation. We can walk in the forgiveness we have in Christ. So that means sometimes we just need to pick up the phone. And yes, maybe you've been hurt. Maybe there's a lot of weight in taking that step. Maybe it's been years since you talked to your child, your parent, your sibling, your friend. But God did not wait for us to clean up our act. He's the perfect example. He saved us while we were still sinners. He reconciled with us while we were still estranged. And we need to bring the gospel to bear because it can power us to actually be an agent of God's miraculous work of grace to other people. I don't think it'd be too far to guess that someone in this room today may need to finally take that next step in forgiveness. To cut the tension, to restore the peace, to take the step. Don't wait any longer. Even if you have already taken many and seeking reconciliation, you have a huge opportunity to powerfully bring the gospel to bear. Now I should add that sometimes reconciliation may mean at the same time keeping a healthy boundary. If there's physical danger or abuse involved, many situations require a high level of discernment and wisdom. It may mean involving more experienced saints who have walked through similar situations. But if at all possible, strive. The point is not necessarily that you may, can accomplish reconciliation in this life. We still live in a fallen and broken world. Christ still hasn't returned. But we can strive towards reconciliation. Ultimately, this will give us the unique privilege of sitting front row for the Spirit to accomplish his redemptive work, securing our reception by God the Father because of faith in his Son, and from this, securing our reception of those in need of forgiveness. The third point and last point for us today, secure a free reception. Let's read verses 11 through 14 again. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. We'll stop there. So Paul is appealing to Philemon to receive Onesimus freely, free as a changed man, Now, as we'll talk again next week, that doesn't necessarily mean his freedom as a slave, but it means that he's receiving him in a free way. What do I mean by that? There's several conditions to this reception. First, Philemon is called to receive Onesimus free from reservation. Paul would have been happy to keep Onesimus with him. He's not dumping a problem on Philemon. Onesimus has proven himself useful, which ironically is a bit of a turn of phrase for the Apostle Paul, Literally in the language, Onesimus means useful. To Philemon, Philemon only knew him as useless. This is a huge step of faith for Philemon to receive him freely. We'll talk more about the issue of slavery next week, but for Philemon, what would be the point of keeping a slave if he wasn't useful? What would be the point of an employer keeping an employee who doesn't work? It's easier said than done for Philemon. So what would enable Philemon to embrace Onesimus as a brother, to erase his record of uselessness, and to actually wipe his slate clean? 
to give away for him to prove himself useful. Paul is expressing a strong emotive trust here in our text today. I don't want us to miss it. Through this, he's expressing that he doesn't have concern that Onesimus is going to relapse or fall back into uselessness. When we see that word heart there, it's very interesting. The word for heart is not cardia, which is used dozens of times by the Apostle Paul. Paul uses a different word that he only uses eight times in all of his writings in the New Testament. It's a weird-sounding word for Greek. Splonknon. It's the word where we get spleen from. Okay? It's literally intestines. So of the eight uses of this strange word by Paul, three of them are in this letter. It's a deep, guttural way to refer to the Apostle Paul's heart. There's a profound inward and connection and affection that the Apostle Paul has for Philemon. Sorry, for Onesimus. Excuse me. He conveys his trust in Onesimus here. And if you look to verse 12, I'll give you the King James Version, okay? You may snicker. Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels. So the Apostle Paul is saying that he's sending his own guts. Next, this reception means that Philemon is to receive Onesimus free from pretense. Often we negotiate in our relationships. Philemon may be tempted to think, well, what do I get out of this? A pretense is a false claim. It is to say one thing and mean another. Uh, We were having a conversation in the office, Jeff and I, a few weeks back, and we're talking about, I was asking him, what, what would you say is the best way to cultivate an environment for discipleship, for gospel coming to bear in relationships? And without hesitation, he said, get rid of any pretense. We come to the table with expectations. We may say one thing, but we're bringing other desires onto the table, wanting things to be fulfilled. When we bring the gospel to bear, though, we get rid of any pretense there. We have to leave our expectations at the door. And ultimately, this will cultivate an environment of transparency. We have to be honest with ourselves. We don't say everything's fine when it isn't. Philemon has to receive Onesimus without pretense. It isn't conditional. Though Paul has said he is useful, it is likely Philemon has already replaced him as a worker. It's not a short distance from Colossae to Rome. Paul does not offer anything extra for Philemon to receive him. He does offer to pay for damage in the form of restitution, but there's no extra added benefit here. The basis of Paul's appeal is about the generosity of God's grace. Generosity is distributing God's grace. This is the only way it's possible for Philemon to freely receive Onesimus, for the grace of the gospel to come to bear. The reception is free because of what Christ has done. Paul is asking Philemon to do something very hard. He's asking him to share in the gospel with someone that has likely wronged him. So listen, church. I'm thankful that the word has authority um, over my own ideas or my own experiences. I'm not here to talk about relationships because uh, I'm some relational guru or it's something I think we should talk about. It's the argument of the text. My wife can attest I'm not necessarily a relational guru. 
I've been, I've been working on it. I have, I have three plants in my office, okay? And I'm putting a lot of stock in these plants. These plants represent all of my relationships, okay? So in the same way that you tend and care for a plant, my hope is that I can tend and care for the relationships. I've been talking to Sue a lot about this. Um, I've had years of traveling in uh, the Marine Corps, going on deployment, um, moving, uh, years of ministry uh, in a number of places. And I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but where we've been living now in Edgewood for the last uh, two years is the longest I've ever lived anywhere in my adult life. Two years. What we're talking about today isn't the kind of relationships that you can create and maintain in the span of a few months. This is years in the making. So for me, these plants, it's kind of silly. You know, I like run to the faucet, I put some water in my hand, and then I'll run over to the plants because I don't want to give them too much water. I don't want to pour a cup. So I, I like shuttle around my office, making sure they're watering. If I see a plant's turning yellow, I'll pull it off. The plants still aren't very impressive, okay? I actually got an app where I can take a picture of the plant and it tells me what I need to do. Still, I'm pretty worried that these plants are going to die. Well, people aren't plants. There's no app to see how a person's doing. It takes time. And me personally, I've had plenty of failures in vulnerably sharing. It's not part of like Marine Corps officer training or how to, how to share vulnerably with each other in relationship, right? But I think for the sake of our text today, we see this guttural emotion behind Paul's request and appeal, and we see the power of gospel coming to bear as they admit their weakness and their need for Christ together. We were created in relationship with our creator, and sin separated us from him. Like Onesimus, we were in the position of how in the world could we actually be freely accepted when we've done so much, when we've traveled so far, when so much has happened? Who could stand in the gap between a holy God and ourselves with everything that we've done? But the reality of the gospel is that someone did stand in the gap. Christ came on this earth and he lived a life that we couldn't live. He fixed our relationship. He died the death that we deserved and he was raised. And from this, we know that we can now have peace with God. The tension has been cut. The veil has been torn and we can know our God in relationship. And this is our hope today. We weren't tractor beamed to heaven. This means that we have this hope, a hope of dwelling with our creator forever. This is the marriage supper of the lamb. And so for those of us in here today who have never been right with God, you can't be right of any other way other than the person and work of Jesus Christ. But if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. It's the only way to fix that relationship. This is not 10 tips on how to fix your relationships today. It's how does the gospel come to life in our relationships? But we need to fix our relationship with God first. That is primary. And the only way to fix our relationship with God is by faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone. So if you haven't turned to Christ, I would implore you to do that today. Because the relationship can be fixed. You're not too far gone. Your past does not define your future. This is grace. It's completely free and it's completely unmerited because of the love of God. 
So today, we remind ourselves of this gospel. We apply it to our relationships. We try to melt the Seattle freeze. This isn't a white-knuckle endeavor. It's something that we have help in today, church. The Spirit helps us, leads us, guides us, directs us. And guess what? The Spirit is at work in the people around us too. It's a mirror for us to see the sin that we don't see, the sin that clings so closely. And it's a mirror to see the goodness of God as it's displayed in others. So like Philemon, we're not too far gone. We have a good God who has reconciled us with him because of his perfect son, Jesus. So as we land the plane, we share in the faith, we strive towards reconciliation, and we secure a free reception. From this, this means we can share in the gospel together. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word and we're thankful for your work. That you didn't leave us forever estranged from you though we clung to our sin. Though we had no right to be in relationship with you, you made a way. You sent your son, Jesus, to live the life we couldn't live, die the death we deserved, but by his wounds we've been healed. The gap has been bridged. So we love you today, Lord. We trust you. Help us apply the gospel in our relationships by reminding ourselves of who you are and what you've done. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.